Hola amigos, thank you for tuning into the Hello Latino podcast. I'm Odalis Jasmine and I'm excited to share this conversation with you. This week I sat down with Gabriela Gonzalez. She's a multiracial Latina American navigating not only her two different Latino cultures and roots, but also her American identity. Now there's a huge reason why I love this episode, not only because Gabriela is a fellow Catracha, she's Honduran too, but she's also I think the first person I've met from Guyana. This episode is a perfect reminder that Latinos don't all look the same or sound the same, and we certainly don't have all the same backgrounds. Shameless plug, Gabriela will soon launch her own virtual yoga sessions, so connect with her on LinkedIn or find her on IG at the Kaleidoscope Dome for more details. Girlfriend. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I, so I, you know, I really want to say there's like power in, in, in this platform because when I first launched it, you know, you reached out to me and you said like, oh my God, we have to talk. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, like, of course I want to talk to her, but like, I didn't know your background. You know, I was like, I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't know, like if I know her, her like Latinidad or, you know, if she is Latina, like, I don't know these things about you. So for me, like, this is really cool because this is going to be like, I'm learning about you as the audience is learning about you. Mm. So this is going to be really cool. I'm excited. I'm excited <laughs> too. And thank you for um, letting me have this time with you. I'm so excited. Of course. And it's honestly, really fun. Yeah. And honestly, I listened to the first episode and then subsequently the others. And I'm like, damn, girl is making moves. Like, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> honestly, so happy for you. And it comes at such a necessary time. And so yeah. I'm grateful that you are doing this. Um, I so appreciate the amazing voices that have been um, on your episodes thus far, like there've been so many times where I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> your yeah. No, that, no, thank you. I appreciate that because I mean, I, I kind of struggle with when should I launch this, you know, and when is the right time? Like, I didn't feel like it was the right time for our, you know, our voices to be, to be out there. And one of my friends, I remember her texting me and she's like, you know what though, this is, this is, this is important talking about people of color and amplifying their voices, this is not happening in the world right now. And so like that gave me all of the the courage I needed to just put it out there. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to put it out there. I hope people can see like the the value in it and like the benefit of hearing these stories. And, you know, at first I was like, damn, God, people are going to hear my voice. People are going to hear like all these, you know, it's like crazy. Like you're like putting yourself out there. But I was also like, this is so needed. You know, and like at first I was out of my comfort zone because I was like, this is crazy. A mic is in front of my face. But now I'm just kind of like, this is regular conversation. Like, I'm just talking to some girlfriends. I'm talking to friends like <laughs> this is normal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd like you to know that I brought out a glass of champagne to celebrate yes. the launch of, of your, of your um, podcast. I love it. Well, I did not bring champagne. So I feel like. <laughs> God damn, I should have known, but I brought cafecito <laughs> because I'm always drinking coffee. <laughs> but okay, so let's let's dig in. Let's dig into okay. to Gabriela, Gabriela, who you are. Um, first, I want you to to tell us how you identify. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we'll unpack this, but I really identify as um, a multiracial person, a multiracial Latina American. Um, and you know, it's really interesting because there have been, especially in the last few weeks, so many conversations about identity and intersectionality in the forefront. Right. And I came across this quote from Amanda Seals, who I adore, oh, I adore my fellow, her. my fellow Caribbean cousin from another uncle. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she was essentially talking about how in the States we need to start talking about American as being um, comprised of ethnicities that aren't just white folks, right? Mm -hmm. And one of your other guests touched on this recently. She um, did. And, it was and she goes, Yeah. And she goes on to say, this is part of the problem. And that's part of the shade of this country is that it's constructed on a premise that says it's only for white people. 
And until Mm -hmm. we literally start considering this country differently in terms of whose it is and how it is, we will not see change. Um, And it so struck a chord with me because growing up as a multiracial person in Orange County, California, which um, when I was growing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm. which was very conservative, (laughs) I had to explain my identity. Like the first time I remember explaining my identity was probably like six years old. And so it's a conversation I've been having for a long, long time. Um, And so that quote really struck a chord with me. And I also, (laughs) one of my favorite movies is Selena. And there are so many scenes in that movie that I absolutely adore. One of which her and AB and their dad, um, it's right when they, you know, she starts having success and they're in the car with their dad and they're talking about going on tour in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And their dad goes, oh, Selena, I don't know if your Spanish is good enough, yeah. you know? And they have this conversation that about, part. oh, mm-hmm. you're, not, you're not enough this and you're not enough that. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the movie theater when that movie came out and being like, finally, someone yeah, said it. Some representation, <laughs> girl, yes. <laughs> That's a big thing. It's like... um, one of the things that I, my friend would always say is ni de aquí ni de allá, right? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. you know, it's just like you, you kind of have this, like you don't feel American, but like that's going back to what we define American as, but you don't feel quite like Latina enough for your Latina family. Cause they're like, girl, you don't, you're saying these things wrong or you're like not saying, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah, you don't feel like you fit in either box and like, that again, this is why I wanted to do this platform because everyone has a different experience in that and the way they navigate it. So for you, like being multiracial, like, do you identify as those three? I don't even know what your, your races are. Yeah. Tell so me. let me, let me break it down. <laughs> tell me, tell me the cheese, man. <laughs> okay. So my dad, um, he was born and raised in Guyana and growing up, people are like, oh, where's that? Like if we were, if my family and I grew up in New York, it'd be a diff- completely different conversation because yeah. there's a lot of people from the Caribbean and like the East Coast. But growing up in California, people would be like, oh, Ghana? And I'm like, no, that's actually mm-hmm. West Africa. But Ghana, yeah. uh, Guyana is a tiny country in South America. It's right by Venezuela and Suriname. And it was colonized by the British at the same time as Trinidad and Jamaica. And so while it's technically geographically in South America, it is considered part of the Caribbean because of the colonial roots and Mm -hmm. language. It's a predominantly English speaking country. The music there is a lot of Calypso and Socas and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where my dad grew up. Um, and in his family, um, his parents and lineage goes back in Guyana for quite a few generations. Um, but, um, originally his mother's side dates back to, um, Madeira, which was a Portuguese island off the coast of Morocco, like back in the day. And, Mm. um, and, um, his dad's side is Afro-Caribbean. And then on my mom's side, um, she grew up in the States. Her mom grew up in the States as well and um, of German ancestry. My grandmother on my mom's side grew up on a farm during the Great Depression in the middle of Ohio and then went on to marry a man from Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Hey, Catracho. (laughs) (laughs) So, and there was a period of time when my mom was little that they lived and Mamaita's house in Begus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so um, from a very young age, I've just always had these really diverse, this very diverse melting pot of culture in my house. Like, you know, growing up, my mom's maiden name is Zuniga, and which, mm-hmm. you know, has roots from the Mayans right? Mm -hmm. In Honduras. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, her side of the family would come over, we'd have these Zuniga parties. And I remember one of her cousins, Miriam, she would come over at our house and she would clear the couches, clear the furniture. (laughs) She'd come in like her 1980s, 1990s jogger suits with heels and then start putting on merengas and salsas. Yes. (laughs) And then with my dad's family, it was- No? Yeah. 
Oh, girl, you can't, you can't <laughs> do it without the punta. <laughs> and then on my dad's side, it was, you know, talking about reggae and the origins mm-hmm. of music from the Caribbean, from West Africa, and, you know, calypsos and soca and stuff like that. And so um, I think one of the questions that you had asked me in prep for this was about like food at Christmas time. I know. I'm so, I'm like literally thinking that as you're talking, I'm like, I wonder how the food was like. (laughs) Yeah. So it's really interesting because my grandma on my dad's side, my Guyanese grandma, she would every single year, uh, because she didn't live in California, she would mail us some of her famous cakes. So one is in Guyana, what's called black cake. It's essentially like um, like a rum cake, and it's dark. It's um, like a dark cake. Like if you were to see it, you'd be like, oh, it's like a dense chocolate cake. No, 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 no. <laughs> it has rum in it that's been soaked, you know, with fruit and stuff. And then the other cake she would send us is boldamel, which uh, dates back to Madeira. And um, mm. it's also a dark cake, like really dense. Um, and it's made with molasses and she would put marzipan on top. And she would send mm. those those to us every year at Christmas time. And she passed when I was in high school. And every Christmas I think about those cakes. Mm. Um, subsequently, my mom, um, I was at my mom's house not too long back and looking through an old recipe box she had and I found some of my grandmother's recipes in there and so I I want to give it a try to make those um but you know it's never as good as grandma's right I know (laughs) yeah um I aspire to be at my mom's level of cooking like I'm pretty good (laughs) but like my mom just she has this magic touch like I don't know what it is and she's like, it's amor, mia. It's amor, uh-huh. it's amor. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, yeah. it has to be more than just love. I mean, <laughs> más que amor. It has to be something. Que le echas? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Totally. That's, that's so crazy for you to grow up in that environment where you're you're really familiar with your roots, you know? Yeah. Or did, did that happen after? No, no, no. It, like, you were, like, like, I you was knew. aware of it, like, early on. Like, Oh, I, I think- love that. Yeah, like very early on. I mean, growing up in Orange County in the 90s, (laughs) you know, like most of the kids that I went to school with were Caucasian. They, their parents were Republicans and like very vocal Republicans. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Pete Wilson was governor. Um, (laughs) You know, like there were all of these touch points like in my life at a very young age that just reminded me that the kids I was going to school with, even though maybe like people look at me and they don't know what I am, right? People look at me Mm -hmm. and they have no idea where I'm from. Same thing with my sisters. And so I just always knew from a very young age because of the music that was in my household, the language that was being spoken, the way our family would talk about politics and oppression and identity and all these Mm -hmm. things. I knew that we were a little bit different and it wasn't in a bad way. It was like, Oh, this is like really cool. This is interesting. And then Mm -hmm. when I was at school and having to like defend that, I'd get pissed. Mm. Okay. Let's (laughs) let's unpack that together. Let's unpack that. So defending, talk a little Mm. bit more why you had to defend it. Was there a scenario or the situation? I mean, anything. Like always, always, Jasmine, like even from a kid. So here's an example. So in the second grade, (laughs) I remember, so what, seven or eight years old, I remember we had to do a school project about like your roots Mm -hmm. and we had to create the art project part of it. You had to create like a, like a cardboard doll and dress this doll in the, um, traditional clothing of your roots. And because we had a lot of extended family on my mom's side from Honduras that were like local, that we would have Mm -hmm. like family parties with and stuff. I think my mom was trying to teach me a little bit more about my dad's side. And so for that school project, she said, Mm -hmm. oh, we're going to talk about where dad's from. And so we dressed up my doll in, you know, like beautiful textiles and with a head wrap and everything. And I remember like these little boys in my class being like, what is that? 
And <laughs> when you're seven or eight years old, you don't have the language to defend that. To you, it's just like, oh, this is yeah. the history of my family. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a really significant moment for me in realizing, oh, not everyone gets this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and that is that is a very common thing that happens in mm-hmm. I think every minority, every marginalized community. It's like you have to, you almost feel bad. I mean, I just as you're saying this story, I'm like, I feel it. <laughs> like I fe- I remember feeling bad for being different. Mm. And I used to want to be so regular, so like everyone else that, you know, you lose your identity, you lose who you are because you're trying Mm. so hard to fit in. So like literally as you're explaining the story, I'm like feeling like, like triggering all these memories of me in school, like, oh my God, (laughs) literally keep thinking about it. I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kids can be like little jerks, you know, but, and, but you know, the truth (laughs) of the matter is that like that's taught right and that's kind Mm -hmm. of one of the things that I love to talk about is that's taught um so Mm -hmm. how do we how do we embrace each other and and help little ones understand these very big ideas but to them it's 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 oh that's my friend or oh that's my neighbor you know Mm -hmm. um anyway so that was part of it right? In defending, that was probably the first time I was like, oh, like people don't get this. Um, And then you touched on this in one of your episodes where you were talking about people asking you like where Honduras is and saying, oh, you're Mexican. And you're like, no, actually I'm not. (laughs) Or they would like say Hungarian, like all these random, I'm like, I said Honduras, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's it's that people aren't educated. And again, I always go back to I mean, I don't blame them. I I didn't see any representation. Yeah. You know, we my family at one point would joke like the only people who know about Honduras son hondureños, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm like that's you know like and for me who's so I'm so proud. I'm so like I love being Honduran. Like I mm-hmm. love being a Catracha and love my roots. I love our the way we speak. I love the way we dance. I love our food. Like I love everything about our culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, people don't people are missing out. Like people are missing out on punta. People are missing out on baleadas. Like people are missing out on all these things that make Hondureño so special. Same mm-hmm. with other countries too. Mm-hmm. Like we miss out on all these other countries. So mm-hmm. not to go on that tangent, but <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's truth. Like say it louder for the people in the back. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <louder. laughs> yeah. Yep, and it's very true. And, and yeah. you're right. It is. It is all taught. Yeah, yeah. It and I think taught. you know a platform like yours gives voice to these kinds of stories, and it's one of the reasons I was so excited for you with this. So yeah. thank you. So one of one of my questions for you, you know, being I don't understand what it's like to be multiracial. Mm-hmm. I don't. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a hundred percent Honduran. I didn't grow up with anything else. And that's already a tough burden to to have trying to navigate American culture. Mm. Or redefining what American culture mm-hmm. is. Right. Mm-hmm. So like for me, that's already a lot of pressure. Like, how do I represent my community? in mm-hmm. in this greater picture but for you how do you represent your communities you know how mm-hmm. do you how do you balance your identities your multiracial roots with your american identity or you know what does that mean to you honestly it's something that i think about all the time yeah. all the time you're like on um, the daily <laughs> no really <laughs> um i would say that it comes out in lots of ways i think one of early on, one of the ways that I kind of balanced all of that was with music. I love music. And um, we always had music on in the house. And I always wanted to listen to music, even now. And I always like search for music that's not from the States. And so, you know, For instance, like one of my older sisters, she lived with my auntie in Trinidad when she was studying Mm -hmm. abroad in college, right? And um, for those that don't know, Trinidad is an island in the Caribbean and it's right off the coast of Guyana. That's where my auntie lives. And um, 
when my sister came back, she brought like all these like mixed CDs, like burner CDs of like Calypso's and like road marches and stuff. And I was so stoked um, because it's hard to find in the States. Mm -hmm. So music is one way that I really, um, I think, embrace all of the identities that are a part of my family's palette. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think as I went on into school and really felt this kind of like pinging sensation of advocacy, um, it impacted what I decided to study in school. So my undergrad is in political science. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there I had the opportunity to understand, you know, like international relations, how is culture developed? What are the influences? Who gets what, when, where, and how, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then my now husband and I, we lived abroad for a couple of years. And when we came back, I decided to pursue my master's degree in mass communications, again, because of the storytelling piece. And I think even now, that blend of identities and all of the things that kind of like were impacted by that has really led to where I am in my career, doing communications and really focusing um, in the corporate environment on employee engagement, issues related to, you know, diversity and inclusion, um, you know, values, um, how do you get employees engaged in brand campaigns? Like, It really is very um, linear for me in seeing Mm -hmm. how my identity really early on has impacted all these other things along the way and where I am now and what I would like to, you know, continue to, to um, pursue. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, (laughs) I mean, I, so let me, let me just be real. Like I've never met anyone who was from, you know, we learn about South America and like, Mm -hmm. And it's, there's so many thoughts running through my head, but like one of the things that I think that our community does that we need to stop doing is being very subjective to how Latinas, Latinos look, Mm -hmm. right? So like, Mm -hmm. we don't all look one way. We're not all from Mexico. We're not all from one place. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's again, the goal is like to represent more and more. And so I'm going to say it wrong. Guyana? Guyana. (laughs) Guyana. Guyana. Mm-hmm. Guyana. Oh, with a G. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because oh there's like two. There's two little ones together. Mm-hmm. Guyana. You got <laughs> I'm it. Learning what, I'm learning what you go. Um, you got Guyana. it. Mm-hmm. Guyana. So I've never met anyone from there, but I remember like, you know, talking about it with my dad because, you know, I when I went in through, when I went through this whole like, I want to learn all about Latinidad and like our roots and like the, the beauties and all of our cultures because we're such a diverse ethnicity, you know, ethnic mm-hmm. group. And so learning about, I didn't really learn about those two countries, the little ones. You know, I learned about Colombia, Mm -hmm. about Argentina, Mm -hmm. Chile, about, you know, Cuba, Puerto Rico. I learned about these bigger ones that we hear about all the time, but I'm like, we don't have that representation. So for you growing up, did you have representation outside of your family? No. You're like, no. Not at all. Yeah, no, not at all. It sucked. (laughs) Yeah. Like ease, like like point blank, it sucked. Um, the first time that I met somebody from Guyana, aside from my family, was um, <laughs> there was a grad student that was working at my mom's office, and he was from Guyana, and I had just started college. And my parents have since split up. And so um, my dad got wind of this and was like, oh, well, I want to meet him, right? Because it's, you know, some young guy that just moved from Georgetown to the States and very similar experience as him. And then he was Mm -hmm. like, well, you should date him. And I was like, dad. (laughs) Keep the culture alive. (laughs) Yeah, I did go on a date with him, but our personalities were not... um, or not a match. <laughs> He's a very nice guy, but um, but yeah, that was the only time, and since still, wow. yeah, and the since. only time. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I mentioned earlier, had our family, um, 
you know, lived in New York or anywhere on the East Coast, it would have been very different. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my sisters um, was living in New York for a few years and a couple Christmases back, uh, we went to go visit and stay with them. And, you know, like there are a lot of people from the Caribbean that live, you know, between New York to Toronto. And (laughs) we went out to dinner at a restaurant and you know, it was like, oh, your daddy's from, you know, Georgetown, like, like it was nothing. And, mm-hmm. you know, so. And you were like, finally. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't really happen on the West Coast. It really doesn't. Mm-hmm. People, people don't really know where the country is. They don't know um, how it ties into Caribbean culture. They don't understand the fact that it's an English speaking country, but it's in South America. Um And then, you know, they find out about my mom and they were married and people are just like, what? Like, you're confusing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, I'm powerful. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But let's, you know, let's unpack that. You said people don't really know the the roots of of Guyana. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You got to correct me if I'm saying it wrong. No, you're saying it right. You're saying it right. But, you know, Guyana and even your like your Honduran roots, but. I'm more interested because, you know, I'm Honduran. I feel like I, I need to give you know that space for that. But I'm like, <laughs> I know that part, but I'm trying to educate myself on Guyana and like your your dad's side of the family, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. So do you know your dad's history of immigrating here? And what can you tell us? What Like how much can you educate us on the backgrounds and the connections between Guyana and the Caribbean? You know, like mm, give, us a, yeah. give us a history lesson. Sure. Um, I will try to do it justice. Um, So I guess we could start with, I mean, you were talking about my dad's immigration story, which I can certainly touch on. But as far as like the, the evolution of culture and everything in Guyana, it has influences from lots of different places, just like the United States. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go back in history, specifically looking at Guyana, you can see, um, you know, like in the 1830s, a lot of Portuguese, specifically from Madeira, went to Guyana. Why? Because of sugar, right? Mm, so okay. that that was like in the 1830s, which is where my grandma, like three generations back, <laughs> her family came from to Guyana, right? Okay. You can also look at West African roots. Why? Because of slavery. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the British colonized the country. Um, There was a period in time where there was a lot of Indians that came to Guyana, Chinese um, as indentured servants at different points along the British colonial path. Um, And all of those influences really have impacted the food there. Right. So, for instance, um, anybody familiar with Indian food, like there's something that, you know, for us would be like a tortilla, but there Mm -hmm. it's called roti. And it's mm-hmm. like a tortilla. It's made a little bit different. It tastes a little bit different. The texture is slightly different, but it's for all intents and purposes, very similar. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was talking about my grandmother's cake. Rum, right, is like mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody drinks rum. rum in the Caribbean, <laughs> right? So of course yeah. you're going to put it in your cake. Like you can use it to age your cake. You can have Heard your cake it everywhere. for like a year, <laughs> right? So there's that. Um, and then the music, of course, you know, um, is also a blend of all of those different um, groups uh, migrating there. Um, the Amerindians, who are the the you know the native people there, all of that has impacted the food, the music, the way people talk. Um, going back to my sister again, when she was um, studying abroad in Trinidad with my aunt, my aunt um, she had my she had my sister come and work in her office. And while she was there, she had a travel agency at the time. And my sister was like, I can't understand their accents. It's English, right? But Mm -hmm. it's very, very different, right? Mm -hmm. It's very different because of the accent. So um, my auntie told her, you can't be on the phone anymore. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) understand you. Yeah. So um, 
you know, they're like, what is she saying? (laughs) Yeah, but she couldn't understand them either, right? It's in English, but there are different influences regionally, even in the States, right? Like if you, if you talk to somebody from the South, from the deep South, you're going to be like, wait, can you say that again? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, language is so interesting that way. Um, Even Spanish, some, some people with their accents, I can't understand that. I'm like, say that again. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Just one more time for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my dad's immigration story, he, um, my grandfather was a pretty savvy businessman and, um, which, you know, gave my dad a lot of privilege and resources to be able to go to college in North America in the Mm sixties. Um, and so they sent my dad to Canada again, because of British influence and immigration laws at the time. There are a lot of people when different countries in the Caribbean started gaining their independence, right? There's in the 60s and 70s, there's political unrest. And then a lot of those countries got their independence. And during Mm -hmm. that time, because of the the British influence, both in the Caribbean and in Canada, Canada opened their doors. And so Mm -hmm. that's why in Toronto, right, like Drake, right? You think about Drake and everybody likes to talk about Drake and, you know, like his Caribbean ancestry and, you know, patronage, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the reason why there are so many people from the Caribbean in Toronto is because of immigration laws at that time. And Mm -hmm. so there's a neighborhood in Toronto called Scarborough, and it has a lot of people from the Caribbean. Um, I have family there. Um, my dad went to college in Canada and, um, and then he ended up meeting my mom in grad school at Michigan state. And Mm. I've asked my dad about this so many times, like, how was it going from Guyana where it's like tropical weather, Mm -hmm. lush gardens, like the English is very different to Canada and then the United States in the 60s and 70s. Like what? And the historical context around all of that. So um, he tells me how he at 18 years old as a college student fell in love with hockey. He just was like mesmerized by it. He'd never seen anything Mm -hmm. like it. Um, So that was an interesting assimilation point for him. And then subsequently, when he and my mom met in Michigan, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. you know, there was there was a lot of political unrest in the United States at that time. And my dad didn't look like the average male college student. And his friends were mostly international students, either Mm -hmm. from the Caribbean or West Africa. And he rolled around with a group of folks that didn't look like average college students and Mm -hmm. that created some problems for him sometimes um unnecessarily (laughs) um so you know I I think knowing about all of that has definitely given me um perspective it's definitely um at times given me motivation to use privileges where I have them to advocate Mm -hmm. and really understand that all of us have these multi-dimensional identities like when you when you get under the hood of the car whether it's related to you know race ethnicity um, health religion you know family issues there's so much more to each of us than at first mm-hmm. glance. Oh, and yeah, so complex. Yeah. And I think that's really something that should be celebrated. You know, a lot it's it's so easy for us as humans to say, let me put you in a box because then that's easy and I understand that box. Mm-hmm. But none of us are like that. You know? Girl so <laughs> so um so yeah. No, that's thank you cuz I didn't even know a lot of that information. And like <laughs> I'm I'm so I'm so mesmerized by you. I'm just like staying I'm like, "Oh my god, this is so cool. Like, I'm learning about something so different in in our in our Latino community, you know?" Mm-hmm. And so talk about that. So talk about the Jew and you know this is going back to your mom too mm-hmm. being in, but 
Did you grow up identifying as Latina? Did you did you embrace that term? Is I know like for me, for example, like my family would always say Hispano, Hispanic. Mm-hmm. So Latina felt kind of like a new term for me. Like it wasn't mm. until kind of like later in in my life where I started hearing more of like Latinos, Latina, you know, like Latinx and that's when I started kind of figuring, I'm like, what is the difference here? You know? And I, that's when I really started learning more about our roots for mm-hmm. you. Did you grow up, you know, like I'm Latina, you know, <laughs> like, did you own that? Or were you like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm these different races within one, you know, like how, how did you, I keep going back to like, I'm just impressed by you for knowing how to manage these identities that you had, <laughs> like your roots, I mean, it's, it's important, right? Like it's something that a lot of Latinos actually do go through being multiracial, but mm-hmm. you know, it's like, how, how do you navigate your multiracial side? How do you, you know, going back to that phrase, ni de aquí, ni de allá, not right. from here, not from there. And also feeling that in your own, like Latinidad, like having these two, yeah. like, these two dual identities. So like, just, I want to unpack that with you. Cause again, yeah. this is, that I don't quite understand and like I really want to learn that from you Hmm. um it's hard it's really hard because I don't feel like people necessarily always want to accept that right so like growing up I was talking about defending who I was and depending on who I was with that seemed to validate or invalidate what people could what box people could put me in like for instance romantic or like no 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 no. like just whoever I was like whoever was around me like for instance Mm -hmm. um you know when I look when I think back to the memories of like the Zuniga parties at my house when I was a kid right (laughs) everyone there was brown it was only Spanish being spoken the mm-hmm. only music that was being played that everyone was dancing to mm-hmm. were salsas and merengues. But then I had a, um, you know, in high school, my first boyfriend was Mexican-American. Mm-hmm. And to him and his friends that were also Mexican-American, I was huera. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, to answer your question about how have I identified, I think I've always identified um, as being a blend of different things. But as I've gotten older, I've put more shape to that in, in pursuing, like understanding the history, right? Because if you don't know where you're from, like, how can you talk about it? So Mm -hmm. I think now I identify as a multiracial Latina, but growing up, I didn't always have the, the words to, to understand, how to communicate my identity to other people that didn't understand. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, even now, like people ask like, oh, like, where are you from? You know, before I got married, my maiden name was Hill, H-I-L-L, right? And Mm. people would be like, what? And now (laughs) my last name is Gonzalez. I'm married. My husband's Mexican-American. And interestingly enough, on our wedding day, one of my aunts was telling me that my great-grandmother on my mom's side, Mamaita in Honduras, her maiden name was Gonzalez. Oh. So, (laughs) you know, yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, I remember her telling me the story and I never knew that. Um, The only name I had ever known from that side of the family was Zuniga. But, um, now, to answer your question, I definitely identify as multiracial Latina. You know, culturally speaking, um, I had more Latina um, people, like women around, around me growing yeah. up. Um, and so I think I've always felt more comfortable with that, you know, as far as like language, right? Like the second language is always Spanish. Um you know, when it came to food, like, yes, we had Grandma Gem's cakes, but we also, you know, had, you know, food from Latin America, you know, and that growing up in Southern California, that was what was around us and what was accessible, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the culture that was more readily available and accessible and um, 
there were more extended family members of that lineage that were around me. Um, so it's definitely an ongoing journey um, and something I talk about frequently with family too. Um, yeah. Because, you know, like my sisters, for instance, you know, I'm the fairest of the three of us and my eldest sister is the darkest. We progressively got lighter. <laughs> and the three of us have very different um, views on these topics because of what each of us looks like and the perceptions that other people have of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Ooh, that is yeah. a whole other thing to unpack. <laughs> How we sometimes identify based on what people perceive us as. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. That's mm-hmm. a big thing that happens. And one of the things that um, Catalina and I talked about is she's, you know, she was saying like her experience is also part of Black America because mm-hmm. she's part of that. And it's, and it's just so interesting, our complexities, right? Like moving to the U.S. just adds whole different layers of, of complexities. Because Absolutely. our experience is going to be different based on how we look. Mm-hmm. You know, like I may be Latina, but I know I'm, we say chela, chele. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, you know? But some, you know, I know I, I, I know I have certain privileges with my skin, with my skin tone. Mm-hmm. And I know that my other Latino brothers and sisters don't always have that depending on how brown they are. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that goes back to Latino America, like the colorism that happens there too. Oh, yeah. So, Girl, so much to unpack there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) For the sake of of time, unless you want to touch on this, but for the sake (laughs) of time, we can we can move we can move forward into our conversation. But one thing I do want to ask you is for people who are listening and and are multiracial and do have and multiracial, when I say that, it's also in the sense of multiracial in within the Latin ethnicity. Mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. that is an important thing that does happen very frequently like I think of my nieces and nephews like they're some of them are mixed with Mexican you know they're both Mexican and Hondureños or they're Salvadoreños and Hondureños you know there's there's different mixes mm-hmm. and I just think I was like, oh my gosh you're gonna grow up so differently from me you know from mm-hmm. their own their own um their own like parents so for you like for anyone who's listening right now what advice do you give for someone who's struggling with their identities is struggling how to balance their their multiracial roots um, and someone who just needs that push and like figuring out that journey? That's such a great question. Um, thank you for asking that. I would say, do your research. You know, like I've asked my parents, I've had the luxury of asking my parents questions for a long time and they haven't always necessarily been comfortable or um understanding talking about it (laughs) you know what's so weird is it's like it was in my face as a kid so of course I'm gonna have questions and like as you get older and understand like historical context of like times like thinking about my parents and when they were in college it's like of course I'm gonna have questions um (laughs) but you know trying to ask those questions and get answers has been really interesting over the years Um, so I would encourage someone to ask questions. If it's not your parents, ask your cousins, you know, there's all sorts of cheesme that's like in the nooks and crannies all over the place, right? So, um, ask your family, um, look stuff up online. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, using tools like Recently for me, Ancestry.com has been like a really interesting way of kind of like adding more layers to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as like understanding roots and why people may have moved from this country to that country at different times in history, um, I think also a lot of it is embracing, like embracing every piece of who you are. You are no less one part of this or one part of that you are all of it Mm -hmm. and don't let somebody tell you that you aren't um because you are um you know and embracing every piece and you know embracing the music embracing the language embracing the accents that make us all who we are and really Mm -hmm. interesting and dynamic um and really accepting that this is America. 
this is America. This is our story. And no matter what anybody has to say. That that is honestly a big thing that I have struggled to understand too. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I, in that second episode with Catalina, like I got called out and like in the best (laughs) way, she did it in like Mm. such a but she she told me she's like, ooh, but like, what do you mean? And I was like, ooh, that's such a good, like, you totally caught me. <laughs> you know? That's yeah. such a thing that yeah. we do. We, we self-identify as different. We're not mm-hmm. American. We're we're XYZ. Because American means this, and I'm not that. Mm-hmm. It's a big yeah. thing. You touched yeah. on a very, very big thing. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I I I hear you because it wasn't until I lived out of the country that I was like, oh, I guess I am American. So, okay, let's let's skip through because you've given us a, a big history lesson, which I'm very thankful <laughs> for. Thank you. No, like seriously, thank you for educating us and representing your community. Like that is mm. that is amazing and that is huge. And I'm thankful for it. I know whoever's listening is gonna be like, whoa, I didn't even know. <laughs> They're going to be thankful for it. One thing that I do want to touch on before we we wrap up is the chisme. Mm. Chisme cafecito. Well, in your mm-hmm. case, champagne, you have champagne with you, but I'm going to have my cafecito here. But mm-hmm. I really want to hear the chisme. You talked okay. about in the beginning how you are working toward employee engagement and really representing communities within the workforce, within corporate. Mm-hmm. So there's that, right? I want to touch on that, your job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I also want to touch on anything else you got going on, how people can connect with you and like passion projects, hobbies, relationships, mm-hmm. any multiracial children on the mm-hmm. way. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the cheese man, what's going on with you. And I'm just going to have my little cafecito and listen. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. I think you started with work. Yeah. I am very much enjoying where I've landed. When I was in grad school, I thought, oh, like definitely traditional digital marketing. And my first job out of grad school was doing employee engagement via Connext um, at a tech company. And I loved it. And I was like, it includes the storytelling piece. It includes advocacy. It includes engagement. And it really, um, kind of blew my mind that that could happen in a corporate environment. That was my first corporate job. Prior to that, I had worked in um, the nonprofit slash local government space. And I was like, this is so interesting. Give me more. So over the last uh, six years, I've had some really interesting experiences, kind of marrying traditional marketing and comms principles with engagement, with employee advocacy, touching on um you know, issues pertaining to diversity, inclusion, and belonging in the workspace, um, values, all that stuff. So it's been really interesting. And um, I feel like the universe kind of put me in exactly the right spot. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been really gratifying. And I want to continue in that effort. Um, so there's that. That's that's my nine to five. <laughs> um, and as far as passion projects, I um, a few years back um, really fell in love with yoga. Um, I was kind of navigating some mental health stuff. Make a very long story short, um, I was in Las Vegas when the shooting happened there. I was there for work. And um, so that happened in October. And then it wasn't until probably February that I realized I was kind of dealing with some stuff and got diagnosed with PTSD. And so I have found that through movement, through exercise and really yoga, that there is such an absolute connection between mind, body, spirit. You know, you hear that and you're like, yeah, 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 it's connected. Oh, girl, not with me. I'm like into it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think for some people, maybe they haven't experienced how movement really can be so healing and how trauma is actually physically stored in the body. Like it absolutely Mm -hmm. is. Um, 
in yoga, they talk about the hips and the hips being the junk drawer of your body. And that if you have hip tight hips and things like that, there's probably stuff that you got to work through. And so learning all of that has been a really interesting experience for me. And uh, at the close of last year, there was an instructor who I just really vibed with very early on. And um, she just started a yoga teacher training program. And so I'm pursuing my uh, yoga teacher uh, certification and hopefully early next year we'll be a certified yoga instructor. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a really I'll interesting. I'll be taking some lessons yeah. from you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and along the way, I have um, lots of practice sequences and things that I need to do with loved ones. So happy to do that together. Yeah, let me we can join both in. get some practice. Be a loved one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody's a loved one. Um, and so that's that's definitely like a big passion area. Um, and, you know, kind of peeling behind the layers of that, thinking about what mental health, what wellness means in all of the different touch points, particularly for um, people of color is, is really, really um, an area that I feel it really comes close to home for me. Mm -hmm. um you know thinking about who gets to rest right like oh. I think all of us pride yeah. ourselves on that grind culture that's so intrinsic in the states but it's so important to also rest and take care of our bodies yeah. um, and that, that grind mentality in our in our culturas you know mm -hmm. like they mm -hmm. it's survivor mode when they move here they're just yep. they're just trying to work they're trying to make a, like a living yep. they're trying to provide and I, I know I have a total luxury when I say self-care or when I say, oh, I'm going to take time for myself. I'm going to take time for my energy and like do X, Y, Z. Because I know my mom has no idea how to do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. No idea. And, She's like, yep. I've been a mom since I'm 19. Like, I don't know how to not stop. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Um, so that's there, amazing that you're doing that. Yeah. And, and to your point specifically, there is a really, really amazing woman who I am blanking on her name right now. But if you go on Instagram and look up the NAP ministry, she mm. is a Black woman who talks about the importance, specifically in the Black community, of being able to rest. And I think that is a principle that applies to all people of color, that we work so hard. And this mm -hmm. country has been built on the backs of all of us. And so mm -hmm. who gets to rest is a very, very revolutionary idea. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think using rest as a principle of, um, of protest is a really interesting concept. Mm -hmm. um, so that's powerful. That's power. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And gives us the space to keep going and fighting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there, I saw some, one of my friends put like, there is no movement if we're not able to move. And I was like, oof, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then to answer your question, because I know you keep asking me this. Yes, hopefully soon there are kids on the horizon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the biggest smile just came over my face. I'm like, yes. Some multiracial. And you said your your husband is Mexican-American, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, that child's going to be beautiful. <laughs> Hella Latino. <laughs> yeah. For now, we have a Hella Latino puppy. His name is Javi Chicharron. <laughs> He's a golden doodle. What kind doodle. of dog is it, though? He's a golden oh, doodle. Oh, so yeah. cute. Yeah. So Javi yeah. is my baby right now. Javi. Until we have a human oh. baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good practice. Not trying to, not trying to compare a baby to, to a dog, but... You know, sometimes these dogs are really high maintenance and I'm like, oh my God, it's so funny because my mom, I think she literally misses being a mom because mm -hmm. she cooks for the dogs. <laughs> she makes it, I'm like, mom, you don't have to give them food. And she's like, pobrecitos, like they need oh to eat my too. I'm like, oh my God, estos viven como riquillos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so funny. 
that actually is exactly like my mother-in-law with my that's so crazy no, yeah tony's so youngest funny. sister lives with lives with her mom with lives with their mom and um has a dog and elsa makes um boiled chicken for puppy <laughs> like every week hey, why mm-hmm. is that a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know it's amazing the very very quickly Mm-hmm. When I went to I went to Guatemala for a, a volunteer trip, which oh, is still one of the most beautiful trips I've ever, ever been on. And it was so it was crazy for me to unlearn some of the things that, you know, we were so accustomed to. Again, it's like that sense of privilege that we have here in the United States. But going to Guatemala and going to a very, very poor community there. Um, one of the things, one of the very like first things they told us. And it was a group of Americans. And I think I was the only Latina, the only Central American person there. But the the one thing that they said, and this is so odd for me, was don't feed the dogs when you're in the community. Mm -hmm. And and of course, I know why, you know, and someone said, why? (laughs) Like, so, so like, like hurt. I'm like, girl, like, what do you mean? Why? And but I didn't say that. Right. I just stayed quiet. But she's like, why? Mm -hmm. And they were like, these people barely have food for their own tables. Giving food to a dog is so disrespectful to them. It's saying that their their dog's life is more valuable than their human life. And it's a very interesting concept, right? That just triggered that that memory that really like like that's it's so like clear in my head, that memory of Absolutely. like you know, of course I was like, yeah, 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 I see. I see why. But, you know, someone else is just like, I don't get it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know what? That's that's one of the things that's so important about international travel. And, um, you know, it is absolutely a luxury luxury to be able to travel for learning. Um, yeah. It's it's a wonderful privilege to be able to travel for volunteer work. Um, I've had a, a, an opportunity to do similar kind of volunteer work internationally. And I think that when we have those experiences, it does just unlock these different perspectives that sometimes we don't always think about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know our alma mater, San Jose State, they instituted a requirement, I think, for um, study abroad, which has a whole slew of financial, social, political ramifications because of mm-hmm. access. And I think there needs I to be I came out after. Of- oh, was, okay. Yeah. So I didn't have I, to go through that. Thank God, because yeah. I could have not afford it. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no way. I think that the university absolutely needs to do something to support students financially to to enable that. However, the educational component of that is huge. Um, no. So mm-hmm. anyway. Well, thank you. This thank I, you. It's so it's so cool to talk to you because again, we we've we've known each other, but very like small conversations here and there. But this is the first time I'm like, oh my god, like Gabriella is so badass. Like I'm learning Aww. so much about you. Like it's amazing. So thank you, thank you for opening up. You know, your about your story, about your your roots, your multiracial roots, and your pride in your multiracial roots. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. And I want to end it quickly with a brindis. Mm-hmm. And do you have your shant? You, lista. You, you, you are ready. Always. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am with my little cafecito. But I really want to end this with a, a brindis, mm-hmm. a cheers. Um, mm-hmm. And I want together and give you an opportunity to manifest some good for our Latino community. So what mm-hmm. do you want to cheers to? What do you want to manifest in our in our community? Yes. I think success showing up as our full selves. Mm. Yes, I love that. Salud. Cheers. Salud. <laughs> Drink your champagne, girl. Mhm. <laughs> Mama, stay ready. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Mama, stay ready. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I hope you learned a thing or two about Guyana and the beauty in our Latino diversity. 
Before I say bye to y'all, I want to tell you a quick story. So this week I purchased a candle from Casita Candles, a Latina Salvadorian owned and San Diego based business. The candle's called Big Hoop Energy and your girl loves her big hoops. The description says, smells like Selena rocking the Astrodome, Cardi slaying the Met Gala, AOC speaking up in Congress and you crushing your goals. For all my candle lovers, go find them on IG at casita underscore candles. And if you decide to purchase, use my 50% discount code Hella Latina with the ad sign at the end. Remember to tune in next week for more Cafecito Enchismen and more Hella Latino love. Follow me on Twitter at Odalis Jasmine, Instagram at Ojasmine with four A's and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andureña.